A judge's ruling regarding Indiana's new abortion law. Is anyone surprised? Hillary Clinton in Indianapolis, Mike Pence on a VP shortlist, Gary Johnson on a big stage, and Susan Brooks on Benghazi. That plus bicentennial torchbearers and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending July 1, this week, Planned Parenthood won a federal court victory over what would have been the most restrictive abortion law in the country. Among other things, it prohibits abortion if the mother's decision is based on the race, sex, or disability of the fetus. Judge Tanya Walton-Pratt said the law goes against the Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade that protects a woman's right to choose. Indiana Right to Life took to Twitter saying that Judge Pratt, quote, delivered injustice against unborn children. Right to Life President Mike Fichter urged the state to appeal, but Planned Parenthood celebrated along with the Indiana ACLU. Planned Parenthood President Betty Cockrum said that her organization doesn't file frivolous lawsuits and that abortion in Indiana is safe. Happy Independence Day to the women of the state of Indiana. We get to celebrate our freedoms. This is a case where the state of Indiana said we don't care what the Supreme Court says. You cannot get an abortion if you get it for this reason. That's Unprecedented the progress that this company and that's Ken Falk of the ACLU. Will the governor appeal that ruling? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Joel Miller, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwanis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV State House reporter Jim Shellett. Joel Miller, have we heard the last of this? Probably not. Um, I think that Mike Pence and the administration have shown that they're going to stick to this rigid out-of-step ideology that put us here in the first place and advance this bill that was nothing more really than a miscarriage tax that was even opposed by many right-to-lifers. The Attorney General, Greg Zeller, has suggested that a decision on a, uh, an appeal hasn't been made. Uh, Senate President Pro Tem David Long said he wanted to talk to Zeller before he makes a full statement on this. I mean, it, it's not a given. No. Uh, Attorney General has 30 days to decide, and they can go one of two ways. They can either appeal this decision of the uh, injunction, or they can really still they can argue the merits of the full case. And uh, they may choose to do that, but uh, they still haven't decided. I talked to the attorney general today, and, and they're looking at it uh, in a big way. But uh, I, one of the things, I don't think anybody was surprised that this judge would right make this decision. Right to life predicted this outcome. Sure, and, and I, think, I think people expected this decision. But I was surprised, as David Long stated in his statement that he did make, uh, the one part in there about equating, basically equating you know, fetal matter to common medical waste, which she basically does in this decision, which just 
Well, what the bill called for was proper burial right. of fetal remains. Right, and she, she basically uh, ruled that it's like medical waste. We can be treated as such. Right. That's um, not going to play well here in Indiana, I can tell you that. Well, I'm sure the abortion debate will, will, will go on. But was this, this bill was a wise idea to pass this, considering the constitutional issues? If memory serves, and it's only been a few months, so I hope it does serve, uh, there were even proponents of the bill uh, acknowledged that they thought that there were uh, aspects of it that were questionable when it came to constitutional review, and yet they proceeded because uh, presumably their deeply held beliefs uh, that abortion is, is wrong, and presumably there's constituents concern that abortion is wrong. Um, but to Mike's point, I mean, I don't think on the, on the merits of the case anybody was surprised. And to your question, will this issue go away? I mean, given what we saw with the U.S. Right. Supreme Court this week with a decision related to abortion, not specific to, you know, germane to this case, but guarantee, if there's a guarantee, it's that the abortion issue will not disappear from the scene. And so it becomes a political issue now. And uh, John Gregg is pro-life. Not well, uh, but maybe more so now. And John Gregg is pro-life, as he pointed out this week, but he suggested that Mike Pence, by signing this bill, win against common sense. Can, he, can John Gregg make this uh, decision work in his favor? I, I think he's got a way to do that, and that is, uh, as Joel said earlier, there were proponents of, of um, pro, pro-life people who were against this bill, many of them women in the Republican caucus in the House and the Senate, who said this is a bad idea. And I think... Uh, that when you look at that, and if John Gregg looks at that and says, um, look, I am pro-life too, but this was too far, and it wasn't handled in a proper manner. If you remember, when it was passed, it was thrown into a bill at the very last minute and shoved through the process. So he can say, I think, with all um, seriousness and and truth, that uh, even people in the governor's party uh, thought that this was a bad idea, and he would agree with that. Uh, and he can still maintain his pro-life position. All right. Uh, Judge Walton Pratt had another ruling this week. Uh, She said that in cases where you have a same-sex marriage and there are two mothers uh, and a child comes to to that marriage, that the names of both mothers should be listed on the birth certificate. Um, Some people think this is a a no-brainer, but others fought it. Uh, anybody who fought it's out of step with the reality of, of society. And uh, Judge Walton Pratt made the right ruling. Is this a big decision? Uh, I, I don't see this one as big as the other decision was, but, and in minds of the big political uh, theater that we're involved in here. But um, I was not surprised at that decision, and I think that uh, uh, that'll stand and, as they move forward. This is, opens up just a whole new area of jurisprudence. I mean, because societal changes and philosophical sure. changes, it was and just these, a week are, these are cases where there, there were uh, women were where in one case uh, the egg was taken from one woman, uh, the other woman carried the baby, and so biologically they're both mothers, and yet only one could be listed these, on the birth certificate. We'll see new uh, many more of these kinds of cases just out of Oregon a, what, two weeks ago. There was a uh, ruling by a judge that says that uh, an individual had the right to say, in applying for a BMV permit, I'm not male or female, but box three. So, <laughs> and that's, I mean, it, and that's an issue that will probably mm-hmm. start showing up in other states. So it's going to mean administrative rule changes, and it, this is just yep. the beginning of, of societal change. 
Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, should Indiana be a leader in the effort to restrict abortions? Your choices are A, yes, or B, no. Last week's question, will the sit-in in Congress lead to more demonstrations of this kind? 44% said yes, 21% said no, 35% said only if it works. If you'd like to take part in the poll, Go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. Hillary Clinton gave a speech in Indianapolis this week. The presumptive Democratic nominee spoke at the U.S. Conference of Mayors. She didn't miss the opportunity to fire at the presumptive Republican nominee, Donald Trump. We need leaders like yourselves at the local and state and federal level who understand how to work with other leaders to manage risks who understand that bombastic comments in turbulent times can actually cause more turbulence. All right, but the big news, the big Indiana news in the race for president this week, Mike, is that uh, Mike Pence is on a short list to be Donald Trump's running mate. We're told that uh, the governor will meet with Donald Trump over the weekend. Is this real? I don't know. You know, after the way this political year is going, how do you know whether it's real or not? I mean, certainly I've heard that there are three or four names out there, including Governor well, Chris Christie and Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House. I don't know who the fourth one was. Well, we were talking well, about that earlier. Not all the names have been released, but we're told there are five or six oh, okay. on the list. Okay, and the well, Washington Post and says then, actually there are eight that okay. they're doing well, okay. for what it's worth. So, but it's, your a, it's in that four but, to eight. But my point is that, Look, clearly, uh, based on the fact that he's Donald Trump's never held a, a government office ever, uh, the fact that he would could be helpful to have a vice president that knows his way around Washington, D.C., knows his way around Congress, so forth and so on, which is why I think Mike Pence is probably on that list, as is Newt Gingrich, who knows his way around, certainly knows his way around D.C. and uh, how to pass the legislation. Uh, he needs that kind of help. I hope he picks somebody that can give him that kind of help. And because of that, I think it could be real that he's on there. All right. And he's in the middle of a run for re-election as governor. What, what do Indiana Democrats think? Would you like to see him join the Trump ticket? Well, whether he does or not, who knows? And whether I like to or not, I'm, I think that John Gregg's going to win no matter who the uh, Republican <laughs> governor candidate is. But I can say this. Mike Pence just a few weeks ago said he didn't want to be president. He was only focused on Indiana. And this week, probably the most important retail politics weekend of the year he's rushing off to meet with donald trump uh to beg him to be his vice president and well, i we think don't know that for it, sure that i think that it's um, we, well yeah we don't know for sure that's what it's about but golly well, what's he going to ask him for uh, tips on dealing with george stephanopoulos what else is it about um, he will be back on july 4th uh to appear in a parade or two um is it does this raise questions about where his focus is well, I heard he was going to Coney Island to see the hot dog eating contest with Donald Trump, so we'll see. Um, look, uh, I think that Joel makes a good point about uh, this being an important weekend, and it says so because he will be back to participate in events on Monday. Uh, but I do think it's a, a distraction, and I do think that it, it could cause some problems for the governor uh, down the road if he remains in the race uh, because this little uh, two-step that they've got going on um, could be seen and cast as a, as a distraction. And does he really want to do this? Uh, it depends on how it plays out. Now, on the other side of that, if he does become the vice presidential candidate, the Republicans nominate somebody else, uh, somebody who is seen as more moderate, 
um, it could really complicate the case for John Gregg, who has been focusing all of his campaign on one particular all, candidate. Well, all those people who are voting for John Gregg just because he's not Mike Pence would, would have to come up with another rationale. There's been an awful lot of research done today into the state law. If Mike Pence would become uh, the running mate, he would have to get off the ballot for governor by July 15th. Uh, the state Republican committee would pick the replacement um, how wild would that be? Well, I think Mike got it right a few moments ago when he said he's, he's seen everything this season, so why, why not throw that into the mix? It's, it, would be, it would be earth moving in terms of uh, not having any precedent, certainly in this state. And other states don't have that requirement. You could be on, the, on a state uh, ticket as well as a national t federal ticket. So that is a wrinkle. But for reasons that Mike articulated about uh, having someone who knows Washington and, and, and having served 12 years in, in the U.S. House and had been the mouthpiece for the Republican caucus, that part makes sense. If you look at shoring up uh, an area that perhaps where Donald Trump is weak, which is with social conservatives who view him with suspicion because some of the positions he's taken on their, on their uh, pet issues are changes from earlier stances well, he's taken, he's, but, but he's you know a, what? He's you know also what, a guy who endorsed Ted Cruz and so would help bring in well, the Well, and he's been faction. concerned about immigration and some of those things, but, but the, uh, the Indiana doesn't offer a lot in terms of uh, electoral bounty. And you, if you he, should expect that Donald Trump would win Indiana with or you, without so, a, an Indiana right. so the mid, So what's on the other side of the scale is you want to get somebody from a state where they can yeah. deliver a lot more electoral votes than Indiana can. Yeah, I, uh, what's problematic here is the timing, as you said. You know, if you've got to be off the ballot by the 15th, the Republican National Convention doesn't start until, what, the 19th? Yeah, 18th, 18th. 18th. But we're and told so, that Trump's coming to town on the 12th for, well, for a my, fundraiser. He is coming to town, but that was scheduled a couple weeks ago. Okay. But uh, the problem is if he would agree that he wanted to be the one, they'd have to announce him before the 15th right. and declare that, and he would have to pull his name out by that point, which would be pretty amazing since we're at July yeah. First, right now, you know, it's a be it's pretty, pretty fast-moving campaign. I think it would be more likely and more fun if it was the Trump-Rex Early ticket. I would look forward to that. <laughs> I would, too. Actually. <laughs> Keep, in mind. Keep in mind, for the same reasons about shoring up the support with social conservatives, the fact that this is being put out, that he's being vetted as a possibility, probably does, even if he weren't selected, still help him in the minds of some conservatives that he must be okay. He likes Mike Pence. Gary Johnson, the Libertarian nominee for president, also addressed the mayor's conference. Johnson will be on the ballot in all 50 states, the only third-party candidate who will be. He believes he has appeal for both Republicans and Democrats because he's a fiscal conservative and a social liberal. So is this uh, like the craziest uh, political election that you've ever seen? And here's how crazy it is. I might be the next president of the United States. That's how crazy it is. The only chance I have of getting elected is to be in the presidential debates. But right now, I mean, a poll released yesterday, Wall Street Journal poll, 10 percent. So it's not such a not such a stretch. John Ketzenberger, will Gary Johnson be in the presidential debates? He ought to be. I mean, he's on the ballot in every place. and uh, He's at about 10% in the polls. Well, that doesn't matter. He's on Was the ballot. It, I'm not sure if there's been a threshold established this year by the debate commission. I think Ross Perot had to get to 15, I believe, to be included. Look, you, 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 you raise the question, and the fact is he's on the ballot in every state. <laughs> 
Uh, he's a viable candidate from a party that's been recognized uh, for a long time uh, as a third party in the country. He should be on the debate. Uh, and if he was, would that get him in the game? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that it might erode some of the support of the traditional uh, candidates. But, you know, even in a year as crazy as this where partisan loyalties have gone, been run over and smashed and yeah. chopped into little pieces, that's still a tall order to, to yeah. uh, anything other than an R or a D. To, well, I don't, I, awful lot of Republicans are saying that, that, that Donald Trump's not a real Republican, but, but Gary Johnson started out as a Republican before he became a libertarian. Uh, should Republicans be worried that he might well, I mean, siphon from Donald Trump? Let's be realistic about this from a political perspective. John's right. His argument is fairness. If you're on the ballot <laughs> in all 50 states, you clearly make the argument, hey, I'm a legitimate candidate. I should be included. If you're Hillary Clinton... You probably want him included, because that's going to eat up some of the time in every one of those debates. If you're Donald Trump, you're probably going, please don't let this guy do this, because it's going to eat up time in those debates. Right. And also, as you say, or I say, would probably put him <laughs> in play, quite yeah. frankly. Okay. And so I think what will happen at the end of the day is that you're going to see some of the networks agree to allow him to participate, and most of them not. So uh, my guesstimate would be that he probably will get to participate maybe 10 to percent or 30 percent of them. If in play means hurt one of the other candidates, and you're right, it would be, I think, Donald Trump, well, that I think that would constitute in play. If you're talking about would he have a viable chance, that, to, no, I'd say no to that. You want to see him in? I don't think there's a problem with him being in, having two people and a lunatic on the stage who's only going to hurt Trump. Which one's the which one's we're from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it labels everywhere. Indiana Republican Susan Brooks says the Obama administration misled the American people about what took place during the attack on the American embassy in Benghazi in 2012. And she says it started with a statement from Hillary Clinton on the night of the attack. Even so, the report released this week by Brooks and other GOP members of the Benghazi Special Committee contains very few conclusions. It does give a number of recommendations recommendations on how to keep foreign diplomats safe. The White House rejected some of the findings, and Hillary Clinton reacted by saying it's time to move on. I talked with Brooks by satellite. This entire effort, according to the Democrats, was designed to hurt her chances to be elected president. Is that the case? This investigation was never about one person. This investigation was about our government's failure, and we learned across government agencies, our government's failure to save people who were stationed in high-threat areas around the world. John Schwanis, what did the Benghazi report accomplish? It probably solidified the opinions that people had going prior to its release. If you were somebody in the camp uh, who believed that... Uh, that Hillary Clinton, in her role with the State Department, had um, made a number of bad moves and then tried to cover her tracks through falsify, through bad information and, and hiding of documentation and information. Well, this probably gives you some new talking point. If you're, however, in the camp who believes that this is just a political vendetta uh, and this all was launched by the Republican majority on that, uh, on that committee that's been looking at this for some time now, then I'm sure that the fact that there isn't conclusive uh, smoking gun that, that yeah. she did anything wrong will embolden and, and bolster their position. So I think 
wherever you, it doesn't change anybody's mind, I don't think. Well, I, I guess it was a, a, a big buildup, small splash. What this does, I think, Jim, is show the ineffectualness of these kinds of investigations. And that's really unfortunate because there is a role for Congress to play in investigating wrongdoing by other people or by the, the machinery of the government. But this is the eighth time they've taken a cut at this. And this is the eighth time that the conclusions have come back, we should have done better, but that's the way it goes, unfortunately. We've seen cases over time where we've had similar situations. They've been tragedies. We've tried to learn what we can f learn from them, and then we move on. It's time to stop with this. It's time to allow Congress to restore faith and credibility in its investigative powers and stop, because it goes on both ways, Mike. I, I will acknowledge that. Yeah. Democrats have used this tool to the same kind of ineffectual ending. We need to use the tool of investigations in Congress more judiciously. Did Representative Brooks handle herself well? Did she handle herself well um, in the course of this investigation? Probably. Who am I to say uh, how, how Congresswoman Brooks handled herself? But I can say this. No matter how she handled herself personally, um, she was engaged in an endeavor that was completely unnecessary, that was wasteful, and it was misguided. Whether it was intended to be uh, a political tool or not, it, it's not going to be much of one. Well, look, first of all, I disagree completely with the fact that there weren't any very important conclusions come out of this. And, and Susan Brooks said when she was appointed that this was about one person, meaning Hillary Clinton. This was about finding out what happened and how you can prevent it going forward. And there were conclusions. And I've read this report, and I'll tell you, it's very laborious. All 800 pages? No, I read the executive summary of the report, <laughs> which is about 40 pages. Right. And, and you go through that, and you find out in a hurry that the tragic errors that went on here from the time the mission was, before the mission was sent to Libya, when the president himself admitted that the biggest mistake they made was no plan for what was going to happen after Gaddafi left, to the point where they were asking for military assistance to beef up the, uh, 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 the mission before they, they got in this situation, never happened, requests for things like machine guns that were denied, then the, then the response that night when they said it was all because of some, some uh, demonstration, that wasn't it at all. It was a terrorist attack, covering that up for well, 10 days. Well, and what the and, report and, said was that Hillary Clinton was telling a different story in private. I in mean, private, but to her of, own family and to but, other leaders of, uh, like the head of Egypt and other but, but part of the lesson you learn here is that this was an administration problem and that Hillary Clinton was actually a pretty good team and she's player, part of right? The, she's part of the but, administration. But, but she knew what actually went on, and she was... She was and she was... Covered it up for 10 days, not telling the American people may, what I really think, happened. Uh, but the important thing here was that the conclusions that they drew, they interviewed over 100 people, and the conclusions they drew actually made some specific recommendations going forward that could probably save lives going forward. I mean, this is a real tragedy that took place here. And the response, the lack of chain of command from not only State Department but from the Pentagon, uh, from end of the White House. I mean, it was mind-boggling what didn't happen here that should have happened. Any, I think any, you said tragic errors occurred, and I think it's safe to say virtually any time you have a loss of American uh, personnel, be it State Department or military, in these kinds of situations, any report's going to find a series of tragic errors. That's the definition. Pearl Harbor, there were people who ignored, you know, saw blips yeah. here on the radar and reported, and it was ignored. You, want, you can't litigate, to John's point, I think... And but, I'm sure quarterback, everything, time you're that, that there's a mistake. But it's not worthwhile to but go I mean try to find out what happens so you know, can prove the system? Not eight times. That's not crazy. Eight times. All right. 
Finally, the bicentennial torchbearers were announced this week. There will be more than 2,000 of them. Those selected demonstrated exceptional public service, excellence in their profession, or acts of heroism. Jessica Nunemaker of Jasper County is one of them. I'm excited to be chosen. I, I write about small towns. I'm on PBS Sport and just published a book, Little Indiana. So it's kind of nice to have that recognition that what you know, small towns are important. All right, they're going to carry a torch that will go through all 92 counties. Uh, to her point, how much attention will this uh, attract? Well, I think quite a lot. It already has, and I think it's been in, uh, uh, a great program that's involved a lot of people and, and truly drawn attention and positive attention. Yeah. Um, are we doing the bicentennial right so far? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's going to uh, have a real crescendo as we get near December when the actual date of our bicentennial occurs, and there's a lot to be proud of about this state. That's right. Um, you didn't get chosen. <laughs> right. I, I, I'm told I was on a list uh, with maybe 7 million other people with connections <laughs> to the state, but, but uh, no, I, I came up short, Jim. I want to give a shout-out to a professor of mine from Ball State way back when who was going to be a, t a torchbearer, Stan Sollers, uh, who's a communications professor at Ball State, has overcome some health problems. He's going to carry the torch, and I'm happy for that. So good for you, Stan. My invitation must have blown out the port. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of good stories out of this. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Joe Miller, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash IWIR or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.